This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Right to Lehaskin at right point, Klingberg shoots, blocked, it's out of the zone, it's in the neutral zone, eight seconds left, Buckley Goodrow after it, time ticks down, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs. Wow. All I can say is, wow, what a job by these guys. You know, they haven't reached the top of the mountain just yet, at least this year. But boy, oh boy, they've gotten off to a pretty nice start. The Tampa Bay Lightning started fast and took care of business last night against, well, I'm look, I'm just going to say it, a pretty bad Detroit Red Wings team as the Lightning win 5-1. Last night at Amelie Arena, they scored three goals in the opening 4-54. Thomas Grice was pulled. Andre Vasilevsky made 15 saves. He was solid when called upon. And the Lightning get another win against the Detroit Red Wings. That is uh, total domination, basically, against one opponent over the last few years. And let me bring in my partner, Dave Michigan, who called the game last night. Steve Ersnick is our producer, Lucas Favalli, the voice of the Syracuse Crunch, will be joining us in just a bit. You know, Dave, it's interesting... Tampa Bay is 17-0-1 in their past 18 games against the Red Wings. In an era where there is a lot of parity, there isn't a ton of separation between the best teams and the lower-level teams. That is pretty impressive. And I think it also speaks to, after looking at Detroit up and close last night, for me personally, that is not a very good team. Well, I really liked your phrase, Greg, taking care of business, and pardon my dog, who's very excited about very excited the about that one last night. Oh, and one streak. <laughs> Actually, full candor, uh, you know that we do this show from from the comfort of our respective homes. And yes, my dog is very. We have two dogs. The little one is very suspicious whenever somebody comes to the house. So uh, we have okay. somebody at the house right. uh, the other part of the house, but she knows that somebody is in the house. So she's letting us know that somebody is in the house, which we know, and letting us know that she is not thrilled about somebody in the house. Then after like five minutes, she kind of accepts the person's presence. She's the little dog. And then, of course, we have the big dog who just loves everybody. She right. wouldn't care... She wouldn't care if we had to not social distance or we had to social. She just wants to be friends with everybody. Love it. But she's like four times the size of of the, the barking dog. Sure. But anyway, I, I think she settled down. So let's get <laughs> let's get back to business. I liked your expression, which you just used and you used on the last call after the game with Brian Engel. I'm taking care of business because you want to take care of business against teams that are slated to be below you in the standings. You don't want to give away points. And what Brian said in response to that, which is also true, the Red Wings are not going to go 56 games without a win. In fact, they've won two games already this year. They've lost a lot more than they've won, and that trend in all likelihood is going to continue throughout this season. But there are going to be teams that leave points on the table against Detroit. And you do not want that team to be you. That's basically what Brian said. And so the Lightning have another task in front of them tomorrow to make sure they take care of business again. But they did take care of business last night, and they did it with a tremendous start. 
completely overwhelming the Red Wings in the first five minutes. Not only did they score three goals, I mean, the Red Wings couldn't even make a play in the first five minutes. And then as we talked about on air, and and John Cooper and the players referenced this post-game, you know, sometimes you exhale a little bit. I think it's human nature. you got 55 minutes left. You're up 3 nothing. You've earned what you've gotten, but it's come rather easily for you. And I don't like using the, that word easily because they earned what they got, but the wings didn't provide much pushback either. And maybe it's human nature to expect that it's just going to be that way the rest of the game, and, and it, it usually doesn't turn out that way the rest of the game. And last night it didn't. The Red Wings did push back, and they outshot the Lightning 7-3, to three, I believe, after that early onslaught by the Lightning to start the first period. And they had some chances in the second period, too. They got the goal in the breakaway from Anthony Mantha. So it's not like they completely wilted. But the Lightning got out of the second period up 5-1, so they had expanded their lead. And then I thought they they just clamped it down the third period, and, and the Wings didn't have anything going. So that's the way you take care of it. Get off to a great start, build a lead, and manage the rest of the game. And, and they were able to do that. In defense of the Red Wings... I will say this. They had four guys coming off the the protocol list yesterday, and those guys were immediately inserted in the lineup. And you wonder if there was some effect from the fact that those guys had not played. I think Ernie and Fabry had had one practice. Merrill and Sam Gagne had not even gotten a practice in, a full practice, prior to the game last night. So let's see if the wings look a little bit more in sync on Friday. But yes, that was that was a one-sided performance for much of the game last night, I would agree. And, and Bertuzzi wasn't in the lineup, and Correct. he's a guy that's you know a legitimate NHL starter. Didn't get much help in the goaltending department, although, as we've said, I think off-air, on-air, I, I, I can't remember, but Thomas Grice didn't have much of a chance and on those three goals, and you feel for that guy just a bit. I want to bring up two things, Dave, in, in this first segment that I really want to hit on, and then we'll get to Lucas later on in the show. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the, in the conversation, you can. I have often said, and you've heard me on this show, other shows, that I think Braden Points arguably is their best forward. I think if you take away Andre Vasilevsky, which, let's face it, if you don't have great goaltending, you're not going to win. Outside of Vasilevsky, the Points might be their best player. And we can define best, but whether he's the most important, whether he's the most talented. We can we can define that a little bit, but you know, to me, especially after what we saw in the Dallas series and the Stanley Cup Finals, and basically throughout those playoffs, when Point played, they won. When he didn't, they lost. And I know I, I simplified that a bit, but it, it's kind of true when you take a look at the impact that he certainly had. I'm starting to maybe switch that thought a bit because... Victor Hedman's playing on another level that I'm not sure we've seen on the back end here in Tampa Bay Lightning history. And when you watch him play now, the confidence with the puck, the ability to make plays both offensively and defensively, I think we always knew it was there, but something Brian had said is after you win a cup, and especially what he did during the Stanley Cup run where he was so dominant, wins the Conn Smythe, that there's another gear to his game that we're seeing right now. And Dave, that doesn't always happen 
with professional athletes, you know, great players finding another level and they become really great players for a lack of a better term. But I feel like what we're watching right now with Victor Hedman, I, I don't want to be too hyperbolic with my gloating of him, but it's it's noticeable that in a game of uh, other professionals who are really good at their <laughs> at their profession, Victor Hedman is standing out even more so this year than he did last year. And I don't know how long this is going to last, but for the audience out there, for us watching, I just take it in. Because this is, when an athlete gets, I think, to this point, you have to embrace this. Because I, I think this is truly amazing stuff he's doing night in and night out, at least early on in this season. So he said during the pause, he did some self-reflecting and decided that when play resumed, he was going to make a concerted effort to shoot the puck more, which he did in the bubble. And we've seen him continue to do that. Yes at the start of this year. So that's that's one tangible difference. And I, I presume you're talking about previous regular seasons because Correct. he was Correct. yes. He was this noticeable in the playoff run last summer. The other part is that maybe is a little bit different. He is attacking the offensive zone with the puck and and driving toward the net. Or without the puck, he's driving to the net, getting the puck in a prime scoring area. You think about the goal he scored against Nashville, like he jumped off the bench and right. you know, went into the slot and, and got the drop feed from Sorelli and, and shot it in. But you think about the three lefty defensemen, and I think that we would describe how they skate. They're all great skaters, Hedman, McDonough, and Sergachev, but they all have a different skating style and it's almost like you would describe how they skate a little differently. And, and I am making a point here. So, so bear with me. Oh yeah. Go ahead. So Sergachev is really smooth and slippery, right? Like when he, he brings that puck into the offensive zone, he's got a lot of feints and moves and he kind of dodges a check and, and glides sometimes. I mean, he's quick. It's not like he's, he's going half speed, but I would describe him as smooth and slippery, right? <laughs> and and he finds a way to get open. McDonough, and we've heard this phrase used about him, looks like sometimes he's shot out of a cannon. Right? He's got that great acceleration. And I think I remember reading a quote at one point that his college coach, when he was at the University of Wisconsin, would say it was like a locomotive train going past the bench because he's such a strong skater and yeah. you know you can just you can just almost feel it like you know blowing past you. Headman has been described not due to his skating but due to how much he can play and his conditioning and how good of a skater he is as a horse, right? We've heard him described as a horse. And it's funny that we talk about Headman like he's a horse. Because Brian Engblom, I heard again on, on last night's last call, I'm stealing all of his, his comments, but he was referring to Hedman galloping on the ice. And that's what he was doing. Like, he is almost like a horse galloping down the ice. And if you are trying to defend that, like, how do you even defend that? You don't want to step in front of a locomotive train, but you'd also want to step in front of a horse either, sure. right? You're going to get run over. 
And when Victor is skating like that with the puck, with that presence and that confidence, that is really a, a tough situation for a defending team or a defending player. And so when I think about like what's what's maybe a little bit different about Hedman's game, I think he is looking to shoot more. But I think that commanding presence of bringing the puck into the offensive zone, galloping, if you will, all over the ice has been maybe even more noticeable than in past years. I think you're right. And I think the shooting has been noticeable, but there, there's something that sometimes we can't quantify, and that's the confidence that he's playing with. It just yeah. it looks different. It looks, and, it, and I, I can't maybe describe it any better than that. It's the eye test. He looks different. And I think, Dave, what's always fascinating to me when we watch professional athletes, as I said before, these guys are all good with regards to their profession. Some are better than others, but you get to this level, all of these guys are elite talents. And then you have guys who start separating themselves from the rest of the pack, and it's noticeable. And I think you're right. Once the playoffs ended last year into this year, he has carried that over. And I guess is, you know, the question that I would have is, what is the ceiling for Victor Hedman? Because he's accomplished so much at this point, but... Now he's got this new confidence. He did some reflection, which you brought up a good point in the offseason, wanted to shoot the puck a bit more. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, we were talking about it uh, yesterday with draft picks and how you become better quicker if you hit on those draft picks. But it, it kind of depends on what those players turn out to be. We said Stamkos and Hedman, I think, are Hall of Fame-type players. And... It's fun watching it. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's fun watching this type of domination because it always doesn't happen. And we're seeing it with Victor Hedman on the back end. And I'll, I'll even make a, a further point with the defense overall. McDonough gets a goal. They told him, they talked about him maybe jumping into the play a bit more this year because there was some offense in his game that they could get out of him. I think we're seeing that a little bit. And then you see a guy like Sergachev with his quick wrister on the Alex Kalorn shot. You know, Luke Shen gets an assist. And, you know, you don't expect Luke Shen to pile up points. But the back end has the potential like last year, Dave, with Henman leading the way, but also with an improving McDonough and Sergachev, in addition to whoever else they have back there of really being a, a back end that produces points. And that is something that you cannot take for granted in an era where, again, sometimes scoring goals can be tough. John Cooper was asked after the game last night about the defensemen joining the rush, which they did on all three of the first period goals. And he said, that's part of our DNA. That's how we want our defense to play. And it wasn't just the three marquee, if you will, lefty Ds. You know, where was Luke Shen on the goal that Sorelli scored? He said the goal line extended. Like, he too, you know, was was not shy about jumping in the play. So that's the way the Lightning want to play when they are attacking the offensive zone. They want to play as a five-man unit, or in the case of the Sorelli goal, a four-man unit because it was four-on-four, four, and utilize every player on the ice to try and score. And if that means that the defense – is going to step down low and, and, and pinch. As long as there's coverage, you don't want to be risky about it and leave yourself open to a counterattack. But if you can do it in a structured way so that one of the forwards is covering for a pinching defenseman, 
then yeah, the, you're gonna you're going to give your defenseman good looks, and you're also going to doesn't always happen, but complicate matters for the defending team because when the defense just stay up at the blue line, it's a lot maybe more straightforward as a defending player to kind of keep track of where everybody is on the ice. But when everybody is moving, the offensive team is is in motion. The players on the ice are, are, are skating, whether they have the puck or not. Keeping track of everyone becomes more difficult. And I think that's part of the Lightning's arsenal as well. Another reason why they are, they are a tough team to defend. And we hear it from the Lightning when they see a team that has active D. For example, Nashville, right? Right. Roman Yossi is not afraid to to skate behind the net in the offensive zone. Ryan Ellis, too. That's just one example. There are other teams that do that. That creates difficulty for the defending team to keep track of everybody. And the Lightning do that to the opposition. That's the way they want to play. So I told you I was coming around to the headman. I may just be the best player on this team outside of, of Vasilevsky. I, for a while, I felt it was Braden Point, and I, I think there are, are good arguments to be made on both sides. I will also say I'm coming around to this as well. Not so much 11-7, and seven, Dave, but Luke Shen being a regular in that lineup. And, and let me explain. I think we both agree, and I wonder if our audience does as well, but I'm Assuming they might. Although I don't know if they value my opinion, Dave. I think they value your opinion, but not mine. That Luke Shen's no longer a 20 to 22 minute player. Maybe earlier in his career, he was a guy that you'd go out, take the tough assignments, and and that's what he was. At this stage of his career, he's not. In fact, up until, you know, the Lightning claimed him and signed with them a couple years ago, he was, you know, somebody that was, what, toiling in the minors at times and was you know, trying to crack the NHL lineup again. But with this team, the way it's constructed, Luke Shen playing 10 minutes a night, being physical, killing penalties, knowing his role, sticking up for his teammates, and not exposing him to 17, 18 minutes a night, I think makes a lot of sense. Regardless of who the matchup is, factor in that if you really want to get the fourth line going, and I'm not sure that's their goal, but let's just say you want to get a little bit more production offensively from their fourth line. We've seen Pat Maroon no goals this year, and we've seen Mitchell Stevens and Volkoff and Joseph, who has risen above those guys to get a spot in the lineup that you can double-shift players like Braden Point, which we saw in the 2-on-0 goal with Joseph and Point a couple of games ago, or Stamkos, or Kucherov when he comes back. You understand the point. That I'm starting to wonder if 11-7 and and having a Luke Shen play just 10 minutes, but maybe having the opportunity to play some of your forwards a little bit more on the fourth line, which makes that line a bit more dangerous, just might not be their best lineup in general. And I understand we'll probably go back to 12-6 and six at some point, and we'll see how this all plays out. Injuries certainly play part of it. I think it's a combination of how well Shen is playing, Dave, the fact that he's not playing big minutes, 
but also it gives John Cooper some flexibility with the forwards to play on that fourth line. I'm curious what you think the more and more you see this lineup with Shen in it, because I think the thinking is, yeah, you know, Shen's more of a, a depth guy at this point in his career, and you only play him when you need him. But the reality is, you're not asking him to play 20 minutes a night, and maybe the question becomes, does he become overexposed if you play him all the time? But I don't know. So far, so good. I, I kind of like this lineup 11-7, and seven, and I don't mind Luke Shen back there doing what he's doing eight to ten minutes a night. Yeah, the way the lineup is constructed during this season may benefit an 11-7 and seven configuration because now you can play Cal Foot regularly but also limit his minutes Yes, because you have seven defensemen. And to the extent what you said about Shen, you know, if they want to – use him and have him on the bench and available and and give him a semi-regular shift but not have to play him as much maybe as you would if there were six defensemen, which when they dress six, I mean, he wasn't playing 22 minutes a night either. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at the time on ice last night, Shen 10-19. Foot actually played 12-28 and Ruda was 13-28. I think some of that was the third period. They just – they played those guys maybe a little bit more. It was 5-1 and the Lightning were were really rolling and and, and dominating puck possession. But in a normal game – Foot might be even with seven defense. Me might be between like eight and ten. Shen might be in that twelve to thirteen minute range, and Ruda maybe a minute or two more. And then and then the other four, Chernak and the three lefties, have the most minutes. But it may be an opportunity for the Lightning to to kind of check a bunch of boxes here, where you're playing Shen regularly because he has been solid. You're you're giving Cal Foot repeated reps but in a more protected way because you have seven defensemen and it does allow you to utilize on the the quote-unquote fourth line that roving forward joining Maroon and Joseph as the lineup is currently constructed we'll see if it continues I mean the Lightning have won now three in a row with this lineup configuration and so if it ain't broke, right, Sure. whenever it comes that they're going to lose a game or, or they have a dip in performance, they don't play very well. You know, John Cooper has shown that he's not hesitant to go back to a different lineup configuration. And I would imagine they want to get Volkov back in the lineup at some point. You would think. So those are considerations. But I think there is a strong argument to be made that the 11 and 7 is a very good fit given the way That's their lineup point. is constructed right now. And, you know, so think about Detroit. Like you you said Detroit has a long way to go. But what are Detroit's strengths? Like, I don't know. Det- <laughs> I'll tell you what I think <laughs> anyway. So Detroit, every team can skate in the NHL. But some teams, I think, would be de- described as heavier teams, right? Like Columbus – would be a, a heavy team. The Islanders are a heavy team. Even though they have guys who can fly, like Matt Barzell can really skate on the Islanders. But they have some beef to their lineup, correct? That is true. I think the Red Wings are more of a skating team than a beefy team. And, and that's not 
terribly surprising as Steve Eiserman is trying to construct this roster because that's kind of the way he constructed the Lightning's roster, too. So, you know, Larkin can skate. Helm can skate. Mantha can skate. I mean, he had breakaway speed on his yeah, breakaway. that was impressive. That was impressive. So, I looked at that matchup last night, and you might say, all right, Luke Shin is, is very well suited when you have an opponent that is a rugged opponent, right? And and you need some muscle to deal with the muscle on the other side. By muscle, I'm not talking about fighting muscle, but just heavy, strong, thick players that play with some beef. I don't think Detroit falls into that category. So Shan is now being asked to face a team that when it's going, its strength is predicated more on foot speed. And I thought he hung in there last night. He had one penalty... He, he committed a holding penalty against Franz Nielsen in the second period. And that might be what you might see. You know, if a guy is dealing with a really quick team, maybe he's forced to take a holding or a hooking penalty. And it's not picking on Luke. I'm just saying, like, the matchup was not quite the same as maybe the Nashville matchup in which they do have some strong guys in, in front of the net where you might say, we we want Luke Shen playing. or And it got very physical in that first meeting between the Lightning and Predators. Or Columbus, which I think is a great example of where a Luke Shen can really help you. It's not surprising that he got into some of the games in the playoffs where, like against the Islanders, where you know he really helped the Lightning in terms of dealing with traffic in front of Vasilevsky. So I thought that it was noteworthy if that's the right word maybe it's not you know Shen played and and played over 10 minutes and and did quite well against more of a skating team that that's what I'm trying to say if that makes sense it does and I know we got to get to Lucas here but I again I I'm always one of those guys too that I I understand certain players limitations and I don't want to overexpose them and put them in situations where we overvalue their importance to this team but we're not asking Shen to play 20 minutes, the Lightning. And Brian Engblom has said this. You've said this. There is a difference when he is on the ice, particularly on the penalty kill, in front of that net. We saw that in the playoffs last year. There is a physical element that he brings that next to Chernak, I don't know if you have that back there. Not yeah. saying the guys aren't capable, but, you know, Luke Shen will hit you. And you're not asking him to go out there and play huge minutes. So in limited time, Luke Shen is a very valuable member of this team. And one of the more, Dave, the last couple of years, when you talk about ability, cost, contract, and what they're giving to this team, that has to be one of the more underrated signings in the last few years uh, when we talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning. For what you're getting and what you're paying. And I, I, I just think it's it was a an underrated signing. I think it was a signing originally that was, you know, left with, eh, all right, that's... That's a nice depth guy, but he's been a bit more than the, a depth guy. He was at a crossroads in his he career. He was. He was. And it, I mean, like, the previous year, he was going to from Anaheim, driving to San Diego, and kind of wondering, where's my career at this point? And he got a second and, chance. And here he is now, yeah. right? No doubt. It's uh, It's been fun to watch. All right, let's get to Lucas Favalli. The Syracuse Crunch, they open up, what, tomorrow? And we want to talk to Lucas. Just I, I, 
I want to know about the AHL in general. It, I, to me, it's fascinating what's going on behind the scenes, how they're able to pull this off, who's all playing, the Florida Panthers sending some prospects uh, yeah. to play at Syracuse too. How's that dynamic working? And what players should we be keeping an eye on moving forward? We'll talk to Lucas when we return at Bolts Radio. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Lunelli. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, we're back. Power Lunch continues. Greg Lanelli along with Dave Michigan and Steve Versnick talking about the Lightning and their great start to the season. But a team that also is going to be starting tomorrow, that would be the Syracuse Crunch. And here to talk about it, the voice of the Crunch, our good friend Lucas Favalli. Lucas, first off, buddy, great to be with you and... I was saying before we went to break, trying to keep up with the NHL and the different games that are canceled and postponed, it can be tough. But I got to think at the AHL level, it's even crazier with when this league was even going to start. And here we are on Friday looking to uh, open things up. But has it been really a crazy six, seven months for you knowing when or not knowing when the AHL would even begin? Yeah, this has been, uh, I mean, obviously for everyone, this whole well, last year has really been an unusual experience. But for the American Hockey League in particular, it has been uh, a lot of question marks uh, from, you know, mid-March when the season was put on pause and then officially canceled, whatever, two months later. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, we were approaching this upcoming season at that point still, okay, October. I mean, everyone thought maybe we'd be get, go- get going at that point. And when the NHL had the playoffs, we figured, well, we're not going to be starting until the NHL starts. And uh, and then you get to the point where you know, we're still obviously at a spot where we can't have fans in the building and in the American Hockey League. And that's really one of the main drivers of, of how the league survives is attendance and, and you know, the concessions and whatnot. And for, for a league that can't have that, there was a lot of questions of if the league would be able to pull this off this year. And obviously we're just barely starting this year. But uh, as of not even a month ago, there was still a lot of questions if the league was going to get going. And... Finally, the Board of Governors and all the owners got together and were able to work out uh, arrangements where, you know, some teams are playing X number of games, other teams are playing Y number of games. So it's a very unusual format this year, but I, I think all the teams uh, in the NHL and now in the American Hockey League are approaching it as this is just purely a development uh, season. Winning and losing is really not at the forefront. There's probably no Calder Cup this year. So it's been a, a, a weird year, but... Like you said, at least we're getting started here. And, and knock on wood, we get off and, and running without any uh, any uh, problems with COVID and whatnot moving forward. So uh, that's the first I just heard of that. No Calder Cup. They're just going to play the regular season and that's it? Yeah, so it's. I guess it's not officially official yet, but that's been the conversation at least. And, and uh, if you know, right now it's just getting the regular season started. I think that's the focus for everyone. I mean, for the Crunch, for example, they're, they're in the North Division. There's seven teams in the division, but... The Crunch only have three opponents on their schedule, Utica, Rochester, and Wilkes-Barre Scranton. So it's it's a very regionalized approach this year, and uh, that's the way it's going to go. And if you get to that point where, uh, you know, come May when the season is ending, if, if teams are more comfortable, you know, putting on a playoff format, there might be a divisional playoff. Uh, we've heard it, if there is one, it would be best of three, but there's no, no definitive, uh, uh, you know, yes or no on that yet, and and it sounds from everything we've heard and all the reporting across the league is that the Calder Cup is, is not going to be awarded again this year. So that would be two years in a row, which for a league that had been the longest running league in, in hockey to award a championship before last year, going back-to-back years is obviously uh, very unusual. 
Lucas, how many teams are competing this year? And what are some of the franchises looking like from an economic standpoint? Are there some serious issues with franchises uh, being able to stay afloat because of the pandemic and lack of uh, revenue coming in? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's 28 out of the 31 teams are participating, which, quite frankly, when that was announced uh, a couple weeks ago, I was I was surprised it was that high. I, I know the Crunch, obviously, were one team that was, uh, you know, as an independently owned team, it's a challenge financially. There's, uh, I think it's 11 is the number these days of, of teams that are independently owned, not not owned by their NHL club, and the Crunch are one of those. And, and those are the teams in particular that you worry about in, in this situation. And and it's no surprise that the three teams who aren't participating, uh, Springfield, Charlotte, and Milwaukee, are three teams that are independently owned and, and just, you know, they can't afford it to, to put on a season with no fans. It is a significant financial hit. And, uh, and for the crunch here, I mean, this is going to be a, a significant loss this year. Uh, obviously, part of what Howard Dolgan, the owner of the crunch, uh, had put, you know, in terms of formulating if they would go forward with the season or not was, having the support of the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning were very supportive of all of this. Uh, the Crunch are one of three teams that are actually sharing an affiliation this year. They mentioned the three teams that aren't participating. So there's three NHL teams that don't have an affiliate. So Crunch gathered one of those. It's the Florida Panthers, which obviously quite unusual with Tampa Bay and Florida sharing an affiliate. But uh, and that's the nature of the season this year. And, and I don't know what the financial arrangements are from the NHL and the NHL standpoint, but... I'm sure part of the discussion with the Lightning and the, and the Panthers were, was to help handle some of the uh, the financial cost of putting on the AHL season with all the testing and everything that is involved in that. And Dave, before you jump in, we should let people know that Lucas is not at the gun range. He's at practice, <laughs> and he is wearing his mask, but he is at practice, and that is with the ping and the, and the clashing yeah. you're hearing right I, now. I'll tell you what. We, we, uh, we do the, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, the, the post-practice media availabilities are all on Zoom and whatnot, and and crunch head coach Ben Grew, who actually fractured his elbow and is not allowed to be on the ice uh, at the moment, uh, he does his, you know, when the second group was going out there. And so, yeah, you hear ping, ping, ping off the glass. He got hit the net. Come on, guys. <laughs> not to get too in the weeds on this, Lucas, but uh, I'm sure you're aware of the rather strict protocols the NHL has put in place. Not as strict as when the teams were in the bubble last summer, but still fairly strict. Like, we in the media are not allowed to cross-pollinate. That's the term that's used with the players at all. And, and there's even a, a, a different zone of people who can be around the team but are not actually playing or, or coaching, and we can't cross-pollinate with them either. Is the AHL trying to implement any sort of guidelines for the players to reduce the risk of having an outbreak? Or is it more just... The players are on their own, and, and you kind of cross your fingers that, that everyone stays healthy. Yeah, I, I don't have all of the specific protocols, but there are. I mean, there was a lengthy uh, you know return-to-play protocol for all the COVID stuff that was uh, at least given to the teams. I mean, I just know from my perspective, I'm in your boat. I, I can't, I can't, you know, be with the players. I can't travel with the team this year. I, I can do that. So you're not riding the I bus. I can't be with the team. Anything. So uh, it's the same type of stuff there, and it's very minimal contact with anyone who's not in that quote-unquote, you know, hockey operations bubble of, of the equipment managers and and uh, the trainers and whatnot. So yeah, it, it's it's very similar here. Um, you know, when the team got into Syracuse, out of whether it was Tampa Bay's training camp, whether it was Florida's training camp, whether it was uh, whether it was over from Europe, uh, you know they all had a quarantine in in, 
you know, abiding by the state and local regulations as well. So, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of hurdles to overcome from that perspective as well. And and I have to imagine the league and the teams will be pretty strict on all of it. But at the end of the day, I mean, the the AHL does not have the the um, the power like the NHL might have in terms of uh, overseeing everything. So I think it will fall on the teams more than anything. To, to make sure that the players and, and the staff are, are abiding by what has been put in place by the league in terms of all those protocols. So real quick then, are, are you calling road games off a monitor and, and what is the quality of that video so you can do your job? Yeah, yeah no, no, I, I uh, well, thankfully, like I said, we only have three opponents on the schedule. It's Utica, Rochester, and Wilkes-Barre. So while I can't be on the bus based on, you know, distancing and not being allowed to be with the team, I can still go to the arenas and I can, okay. you know, I can, can drive to the arenas. So, you know, well, Utica's 45 minutes away. Rochester's an hour away. The longest one is Wilkes-Barre, and that's about two hours or so. So uh, it's it's pretty fortunate in that regard. Unless there's a big snowstorm, I could at least be in the building. But if not, we I mean, we don't have quite the setup that uh, you guys have in terms of all the different angles and whatnot. But at least the, the quality of video uh, from AHL TV, which is where we'd be getting our video, is as good as it's ever been in this league. So that's the positive. But... Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, there's no weather issues that prevent me from getting to all of our road games. There's only 16, and most of them are within an hour, so that's uh, pretty convenient. Lucas, I've seen some reports regarding players' pay this year. Can you get into that at all? And what's it been like getting these guys to a point where you know they, they can afford housing and you see a bunch of them living together a, a bit more so this year than in previous years? I always find that fascinating behind the scenes when you talk about life in the minors with these AHL players who I think are compensated okay, but when you factor in a pandemic, I'm sure that changes a lot of different things. Yeah, it's a challenge for sure. And, and you know, we've, we've asked a handful of the guys, and mainly the, you know, the more veteran players. I mean, they've, they've all basically said they're, they're just happy to be playing. They're very they're excited to be playing, and, and they've kind of uh, shied away from going into that conversation with all of the, the financial ramifications and what it might mean. And, and obviously the AHL and, and uh, the PHPA came to an agreement with the new uh, a CBA for this year. So that is a positive. But, you know, from all that perspective, I mean, the, fortunately for a lot of the players here and the crunch of a pretty, you know, it's a small front office staff, but we're all pretty hands on. And there's a, you know, a good team services uh, person here who, who helps them find apartments if they need to. And, and, and they've been able to find a lot of, you know, four-month leases or whatnot, uh, just based on the relationships we've had over the, the couple of years. Uh, well, now, this is 27 years that the crunch are going on, but all the years in terms of finding apartments for players, we have those relationships now, and, and we were able to find different ways to get you know different leases. And, and yeah, there might be, uh, might be more sharing apartments than typical, but uh, I, from, from everything I've heard, at least from the crunch group, they're, they're just excited to be playing, and, and the finances and and the compensation has not really been at the forefront of their mind heading into this season. Given the fact that NHL teams have the taxi squads and presumably some of the players on the taxi squads would otherwise be playing in the American Hockey League, so rosters at the AHL level are not quite as full as they would normally be, it's still unique and challenging sometimes to have a dual affiliation how has that gone so far in terms of integrating the Florida prospects into what Syracuse is trying to do? Yeah, well, I think it's been a very it's been a benefit so far, at least, because like you said, there is there are those taxi squads and, and there are some rosters when you look across the league that are I don't want to say, you know, barren, but it's not quite the uh, the level that you are get used to seeing at the American Hockey League level. 
so for the crunch with two teams feeding players here, and it's not like there's a, a ton of players coming from Florida, but there's seven or eight guys from the Panthers, and that has helped round out this roster. I mean, the crunch, as of yesterday, had 33 players still on their roster. And, and you know, first game coming up Saturday, we're right around the corner. And uh, so there's a lot of players here, but I, I, I really believe that Ben Group, head coach of the Crunch, is the perfect guy to have in charge of this. I mean, he's been saying from day one, this is one team. It's not the Lightning players on one side and the Panthers players on the other side. It's been one team. They've been integrated. I mean, you look at the Crunch's top line through the course of uh, the last week of practice. You've got Alex Barry, Boulay, and Ross Colton, Crunch prospects, and both have had very good uh, seasons here in Syracuse the last two years. And then you've got a rookie, a first-round pick from the Panthers, and Grigory Denisenko, who's been rounding out that line. So it's not like they're separate. It's It's been one team, one group, and and I think, like I said, Ben Grew is the perfect guy to help integrate all of that. Uh, uh, Charlotte, who is the affiliate of Florida, if they were playing this year, their head coach, uh, Jordy Kittier, has been here as well. So it's been kind of a rounded um, uh, effort to to get this team into one one team, and I think that's been the approach so far. We'll see how it pans out. But uh, so far, so good, I think. It, it seems like this is really gelling into one team, not not the Lightning team and the Panthers team. One more for me, Lucas. We saw some guys have really good performances in the shortened camp here before they were ultimately put through waivers or, or sent down or whatever, whether we're talking about Ben Thomas or Ross Colton or Barry Boulay. Who are the guys currently in Syracuse in your opinion, who are at the top of the the pecking order, so to speak, to be close to making that move up to the NHL or in this weird season, maybe up to the taxi squad? Yeah, I think you mentioned Alex Barry, Boulay, and Ross Colton are, uh, uh, in my opinion, at least at the top of the list. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen a ton of, of you know, on-ice action in terms of gameplay yet, but those two last year had tremendous seasons, and in particular, Ross Colton. I th- he took a significant step last year. Uh, you know, he was good as a rookie, but last year he really, I think, came into his own. And if he continues on that trajectory, he is not far off from at least earning a spot on the taxi squad and, and maybe potentially getting into a game at some point uh, for the Lightning down the line. Uh, he's, he, just, he does everything. He's a penalty killer. He's been good on the power play, good at a net front, uh, all of that stuff. He's a, he's a physical player. And he, he does everything right from a from a crunch perspective. Obviously, we, we've seen Alex Barry Boulay just his offensive prowess over the last two years. But uh, he, last year, he was really good in, in all three zones, uh, really rounding out his defensive side of his game as well. He still has to get a little faster and, and quicker. But uh, when you when he has the puck, he's as dangerous as anyone in this league. So I think those are two guys right at the forefront who are uh, ready to make that step. And then, obviously, we'll, we'll see how... Uh, other, you know, third-year players like a Boris Kachuk and a Taylor Radish, who also had really good years, especially uh, Boris. He, he had a very strong season last year, and he's another guy uh, who's been called the Swiss Army Knife under Crunch. He does everything. A really good penalty killer, also very good on the power play. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how he is in year three and, and, uh, and see if he's also ready to make that jump, whether it's this year or, or moving forward uh, next year and beyond. Lucas, last question for me. Is it a show-me year for anyone on the Crunch? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, this year, it, it, it's going to be hard, I think, to to get a great evaluation of what's what's going on. I mean, like I said, they've talked about this being uh, just a, a purely development season. Uh, so, and with the jumbled schedule and not a ton of, it, it's going to be hard to really get, a, I think, a good assessment on that. Um, but I think 
quite frankly, I think uh, at least from the Crunch coaching staff, they've been very happy with uh, all of the, the Lightning players, at least, who have come through and, and have been developing over the years. So I don't know if there's one player I could point to that says, you know, it's, it's do or die for this guy. If he doesn't have a good year this year, he, he's out of here. Um, I, I think if everyone just continues on the trajectory they've been at, I think all the coaches, staff, the coaching staff here and, and the Lightning management would, uh, would take that and be very happy. Well, Lucas, we appreciate the time, buddy. As always, I know it's a, a unique year for everyone involved, and Syracuse no different, but uh, I'm sure we'll be checking in with you soon. And tell the guys in the background to hit the nets a, yeah, a little bit sure. more. Here. <laughs> Come on. I'm trying to do an interview. Well, All right, buddy, we appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Lucas. Yeah, thank All you. Right. All right, that is Lucas Favalli joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. And Dave, look, you, you got your start, as most people do, calling games in the minors. It can be a... A tough go of it, um, also a, a great way to, to hone your skills. But this year in particular with, you know, certain teams not playing, you have different organizations playing with one another. And I always find the behind the scenes with the players, how they go about living, you know, how do they make a living. I, I find minor league life to be uh, pretty interesting for a lot of guys. You watched Slapshot, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> That's. I think that was the seed that probably blossomed this right. interest. <laughs> Maybe that was accurate in the seventies when it was it was made. It was not exactly true to life when I was in the minors, although it was not completely fiction either. I am curious now that I've learned that there may, in fact, be no playoff and no Calder Cup awarded this year and there wasn't last year but of course the players didn't know that during the regular season we only found that out when when the season was was postponed and then canceled and I wonder what the level of play is going to be like in a season in which the participants the players understand there's no championship there's no playoff there's no benefit really to winning or losing because you're not trying to make the playoffs unless there is this hope that at some point the league will announce there will be a playoff so really you're playing for the love of the game and to try and develop right but even that is going to be challenging because of the circumstances in this season so I guess I don't really know what to think about what the season is going to look like I know that the coaches and not just Ben Grew but around the American Hockey League are going to try and implement an exacting standard. You would expect that. But do, I don't know. Do you think it will make a difference for players if they know that there's no championship to be won? There's there's no goal to reach as a team in terms of winning. I'm not talking about individual goals of, of trying to get better as a player and maybe move up to the NHL. It's a good point, and I'll answer your question, but it's a good point because I hear a lot of people say that winning a championship helps develop these these players even more so. So to your point, if you're playing for something, some guys are better performers in the playoffs than they are during the regular season, and you develop a little bit quicker maybe if you have a great playoff that gives you confidence heading into the next season where now maybe all of a sudden you're on the board to be promoted by the big club if that's happening. My sense is, Dave, that these guys, this is such a unique year that – like Lucas said, it is a development year, per se. I will say if a player falls off the face of the earth and has a poor season, that will not bode well for him 
next year. I think you still have to perform. I think you should probably still treat it like you're playing for something. I'd like and to these, think it. These guys are wired to compete too. Yeah, so and I'm I like not, to think I'm it not doesn't. Implying that they're going to go out for a Sunday afternoon <laughs> stroll. <laughs> right, right. But I there like is to think a difference. You know, yeah. there is a difference. If you lose five in a row, it's no fun. But you know, you don't feel that same urgency. We we need to turn this around, or we're going to miss the playoffs. That that part is gone. I guess to, maybe to to be honest, answering that question, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But yeah. my guess is, my guess is. These guys are very fortunate to be playing and collecting a paycheck and that they need to be playing for something beyond, look, we're not playing for a championship there. You're playing for your livelihood to get another crack, I think, next year. And I think that's that might be the way I would approach it, which would you know light a, light a fire under my pants, Dave, and, and have me wanting to play as hard as I can. Yeah. Uh, th- this question comes in from James. He said, guys, can someone get called up from Syracuse or do the Lightning bring someone off the taxi squad first? Well, both. Uh, so if they're going to the NHL roster, they need to come off the taxi squad. Because if they come from the American Hockey League to the taxi squad, they need to quarantine for a number of days. I believe it's seven. Yes. Now, as an example, Detroit has been very active, and I, I know this because I was I – was, prepping for the game last right, night. Right. So they've had a lot of transactions. And of course, they had guys on the COVID protocol list. But they were swapping guys from the NHL roster to the taxi squad, from the taxi squad to the American Hockey League, and from the American Hockey League to the taxi squad. So all of that is fluid. You can, you can move players around. It's just that if they are entering... And I'll use the term bubble, but it's not the same bubble as the bubble we had in Toronto and Edmonton last year. So take that with a grain of salt. Right. But there is a bubble. There is a bubble around what they're calling this zone one for teams in the NHL. And if you are going to enter that group, you need to quarantine before you are integrated. And if you're coming from Syracuse or... Wilkes-Barre or Rochester or wherever before you can join your NHL teammates because the taxi squad guys are practicing with with the guys who are on the NHL roster you need to go through the protocol so if the Lightning need to add somebody immediately it's somebody from the taxi squad but you can you can supplement the taxi squad you just can't have more than six players on the taxi squad at one time and one of the players has to be a goalie yes so we hope we answered your question there. This one comes from Doug. He says, who is the eighth defenseman on the Lightning, and will that player get in some games? And do you think the Lightning will make a play for Braden Coburn, who was just released and put on waivers? The eighth defenseman is Borgman, Andreas Borgman, who has some NHL experience. He is the lone defenseman at this point on the taxi squad Although I, I must say, it's not like we've gotten press releases indicating when a player on the Lightning is actually swapping between the NHL roster and the right. taxi squad, although they did it. So, like, Luke Shen cleared waivers as to Tyler Johnson the day before the season started. So that was, what, January 12th? So that means that your your waiver exempt. Once you've cleared waivers, you don't have to clear waivers again for either – 30 days 
or 10 games played in the NHL, whichever comes first. So because he had cleared waivers, talking about Luke Shen, I think the games where Cal Foote was in before they started going with the seven defensemen in, in the lineup, Shen was actually on the taxi squad. We, we just didn't get a, an official press release indicating that. So at some point, if the Lightning want to move Luke Shen, as an example, back to the taxi squad after he has appeared in 10 games or it's been 30 days and we're approaching that because January 12th at 30 days, you know, we're into the second week of February and that is coming up. He would have to clear waivers again if they decided to do that. Cal foot does not have to clear waivers, but the, the question was who is the eighth defenseman? The eighth defenseman is Andreas Borgman who has been on the taxi squad this entire season. So they could summon him as the eighth defenseman. Was that the only part of the question? There was a second And I think he wanted to know what are the chances of the Lightning bringing back oh, Braden Coburn. So Braden Coburn, and again, I'm, I'm speculating here, Braden Coburn went through waivers for Ottawa. Assuming he clears waivers, and I think we're going to find out today if he cleared, right. then the Senators can move him to the taxi squad. A team could claim Kobe on waivers, and there's a pecking order of of teams, kind of a list of, of order of teams to to get in line, and usually it's based on record. So the team with with the worst record has the first crack at a player on waivers. If you claim a player on waivers, you claim that player's contract. And one of the reasons why the Lightning moved Braden Coburn in the first place was they needed to free up money. So I don't know how likely it is that they would be looking to add that salary back in addition to the fact that they have a lefty defenseman, Borgman, already on the taxi squad. But I I believe that the, the Coburn move and the Paquette move were made not because the Lightning became disillusioned with those players. It was strictly a money salary cap move. And and those issues for the Lightning are 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 still existing, right? Sure. Like I mean I understand they have some some relief with the long term injury, but I don't think the Lightning are interested in adding salary at this point. So uh, I would I would be surprised if if he returned. He's twenty eight games away from playing a thousand. Yeah. And That's, just because a player yeah. gets put on the taxi squad doesn't mean that he's not gonna play again in the NHL correct and you know a guy like Jamel Smith we've talked about and I think John Cooper said he'd like to get those guys in a game and we'll see how that plays out and I wouldn't be surprised too if we see Curtis McElhaney Dave finally get into a game here yep. coming up in the next week well it's gonna be if not sooner and sooner would be tomorrow but if it's not tomorrow it'll be one of the games in the back-to-back yeah after the Super Bowl weekend the Lightning don't play Saturday or Sunday but then Monday Tuesday back-to-back in Nashville Cooper said McElhinney will get one of those games. He'll get one of those games whether he plays tomorrow or not, but it's possible that he could play tomorrow. But if not tomorrow, he will he will be in one of the games early next week. We'll see how it plays out. And, of course, you can listen to all the action here on Lightning Power Play. Tomorrow's game is at 7 o'clock. Pre-game's at 6.30. And Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios have the pre-game skate show at six so make sure you stay tuned for that and of course dave and i will be doing our show noon to one tomorrow as well we never take a day off for you we are always on the airwaves whether we're taking a dog, the weekend off we are going to take the it's weekend a real off. weekend off isn't it we're going to watch the bucks hopefully win yeah 
And that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, it's going to be, I think, a, a fun weekend here in Tampa Bay and probably be the last weekend, Dave, we have off um, for quite some time. But that's okay. That's what we do. Dave, great job as always, bud. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow. All right. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to Lucas Favalli. We always appreciate that. We'll be with you again tomorrow, noon to one. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.